of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Introducing The Fountain Road Files, a new horror fiction podcast from unexplained creator Richard McLean Smith. In March 2020, 27-year-old cafe worker Ben Williams began recording an audio diary of the coronavirus pandemic. Two months later, he was found dead in the South London flat where he was spending lockdown alone. Or so he thought. Search The Fountain Road Files wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to thefountainroadfiles.com. In his famed and controversial 1798 paper, An Essay on the Principle of Population, The Reverend Thomas Robert Malthus outlined the theory for which he has since been immortalised. Malthusianism, as it came to be known, broadly speaking, is the belief that the global human population will increase inevitably to the point where it can no longer be sustained by the resources available to it unless it is curbed by either natural disasters or state intervention. Without such checks, Malthus believed, many would be fated to a lifetime of financial poverty and destitution, as more and more people would be forced to scrap over ever-diminishing proportions of food. Malthus's theory was undermined emphatically in the next hundred years by the sheer human capacity for ingenuity and its rapacious thirst for commodities. Throughout the 19th century, although global population continued to increase at a rapid rate, it was more than compensated for by the equally rapid technological advances of the Industrial Revolution. With new tools such as the threshing machine, 
came the ability to farm far more intensively than ever before. But just as crucial was the introduction to Europe and the United States of an extremely unlikely nitrogen-rich fertiliser. It was back in 1802 that the brilliant Prussian naturalist Alexander von Humboldt first came across it while trekking through Peru. Called guano by those local to the region, otherwise known as guano, this natural fertiliser, comprised of bat and bird excrement, had long been considered an extraordinarily effective fertiliser, used even by the ancient Incas. Humboldt's introduction to guano set in motion a chain of events that would not only change the world as we knew it, but change it in ways that we may struggle to ever recover from. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. A veritable polymath, Humboldt had spent much of his early years studying a vast array of disciplines, including languages, geology, anatomy, and astronomy. Amongst many other things, he is credited with reintroducing the word cosmos into popular usage, and is also regarded as the first person to describe the phenomenon of human-induced climate change. By his 40s, Humboldt was already a well-established member of the European science community when he received the blessing of the King of Spain to undertake an expedition to the Americas. Humboldt would spend the next five years trekking extensively throughout the continent. After returning to Europe, Humboldt wrote effusively about the merits of guano, encouraging industrialists to look into the possibility of incorporating it into Western agricultural practices. Within 30 years, as many began to see the benefits of it for themselves, millions of tonnes of guano, largely harvested by slaves from China, Africa, the Polynesian Islands and Hawaii, was being exported and traded throughout Europe and the United States. As is often the way of such things, before long, with the unquenchable desire for it, deposits of guano were all but exhausted by the 1870s. This pitfall was swiftly overcome, however, with the discovery of vast quantities of natural sodium nitrate found in Chile around the same time. But as many were quick to recognise, sodium nitrate was also a finite resource, and much like the once bountiful supply of guano, it too would someday run out. By the 1890s, the world, it seemed, was once again in a perilous position. With global population now 50% larger than it had been in Malthus's time, thanks in part to dramatically increased crop yields, fears of a Malthusian catastrophe were once again being espoused. In 1898, Sir William Crookes, president of the British Academy of Sciences, drew attention to this worrying predicament. It was his belief that unless a viable alternative to the natural but finite fertilisers could be found soon, food supplies would no longer be sufficient to sustain the global population. There was one great hope, however, he added. Since nitrogen made up 79% of the Earth's atmosphere, there was certainly more than enough of it to go around. All that was needed was for someone to find a way to convert it into a compound that plants could feed off. In 1909, chemist Fritz Haber 
was working as an assistant and lecturer at Karlsruhe University in Germany. Though not especially well known at the time, Haber had been steadily making a name for himself, specialising in the technology of dye for textiles and electrochemistry. That year, however, working in their lab at Karlsruhe, Haber and his assistant, Robert Le Rosignon, would make one of the greatest discoveries of modern science. Spurred on by the global hunt for a synthetic fertiliser to match the nutrient-rich nitrates such as those from Chile, Haber devised a process that successfully combined nitrogen from the air with hydrogen to create ammonia, a nitrogen-rich compound capable of fertilising plants. Haber's process was acquired by the German chemical company Baden Aniline and Soda Factory in July the same year, who in turn assigned chemist Karl Bosch to scale it up for industrial use. With the help of what would become known as the Haber-Bosch process, BASF were producing industrial quantities of ammonia by 1913, which couldn't come soon enough for the German nation. With the outbreak of war in July 1914, recognising that Chile's sodium nitrate deposits would not only be vital for agriculture, but also the production of explosives, the German government attempted to secure access to it for themselves. However, the German naval fleet that was sent to complete the task was destroyed a few months later by the British Navy. Left with no access to this vital resource, Karl Bosch and his team at BASF duly stepped in to help, turning their hands to generating vast quantities of ammonia at the military's request to produce nitric acid for use in explosives. Fritz Haber, who thanks to the genius of the Haber-Bosch process, was well known to the German government, was invited to take up a slightly different task and turn his talent for chemistry to figuring out how it might best be used in the field of war. Haber had little trouble accepting the task and quickly began experimenting with tear gas. But Haber would go much further than that. Though many on both sides of the war had predicted a swift and early resolution to hostilities, by April 1915, a very different picture was beginning to emerge, with both sides now thoroughly locked in a seemingly endless war of attrition. Fighting by this point was largely confined to the Western Front, a vast line of trenches and fiercely contested territory, stretching south from the coastline of the North Sea, through Belgium, France and Germany, all the way to Switzerland. Located at the northern end of the front was the Ypres salient, a ten-mile stretch of the line just to the east of the Belgium city of Ypres. As one of the few sections of the front at the time, where the British, Canadian and French armies had succeeded in pushing back into German-occupied territory, the Ypres salient was a vital strategic and symbolic landmark. So heavily was this section contested, the German military became convinced that if they could just break through it, it would be such a blow to the opposition's morale that their victory would be all but guaranteed. By April 22nd, the surrounding area had been obliterated by artillery shells from both sides, transforming the once rich and verdant farmland into hellish stretches of mud and twisted wire, pockmarked by vast yawning craters 
and all of it strewn with the rotting corpses of fallen soldiers. The trenches were not much better. Bogged down with water due to the low water table, they offered little respite from the elements. They too were littered with the bodies of the dead. After days of intense fighting around a nearby hill, the morning of the 22nd had begun with another period of heavy shelling as the German army once again did their best to disrupt the line. By early afternoon, however, the guns had fallen silent. At the northern section of the salient, French-Algerian troops waited nervously for whatever might come next. At just after 5pm, with the light beginning to fade, the aerial bombardment began afresh, the shells pummeling down into the mud, becoming louder and louder with each passing minute, when suddenly one of the lookouts observed something unusual in the distance, a thick cloud of smoke slowly billowing toward them across no man's land. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Sign up today and start communicating in less than 48 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can also log into your account anytime to send a message to your counsellor. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, nor self-help. It is professional counselling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available. And with BetterHelp's commitment to facilitating great therapeutic matches, they make it especially easy and free to change counsellors to help you find the right fit. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash reviews to read the many glowing testimonials posted every day from grateful clients. And if you're interested in signing up, go to betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained one zero and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained one zero and join the over one million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Thinking the smoke was cover for an imminent attack, officers across the line screamed at their men to get ready, ordering their troops to stand to and mount the first step in preparation for a defensive charge. Gathering weapons, helmets and ammo, the men threw themselves dutifully against the side of the trenches, hearts thumping in their chests as they awaited the next order. Up above, officers gripped tighter on their revolvers as they braced themselves for the sudden onrush of German soldiers. But the soldiers never came. The officers could only look on with bemused stares as that peculiar smoke, seeming a little thicker now, continued to draw nearer and nearer. It was almost beautiful the way it shimmered a peculiar shade of yellow and green in the light. And then the smell hit them. An acrid whiff of bleach that scraped at the back of the throat. Then the men began to cough and pull back clawing at their necks. While some cried out for water, others were already on the ground, screaming in agony as they writhed about in the mud, frothing at the mouth and gasping for breath. And still the cloud of smoke kept coming, until the entire trench had been engulfed 
but it wasn't smoke at all. It was chlorine gas. Just a kilometre away to the north, at the German line, the bald, bespectacled figure of Fritz Haber watched with satisfaction as the gas he had so meticulously helped to manufacture continued on its southerly direction across the rest of the opposition's line. Harbour later said that his intention had been merely to use the gas to cause mass disruption, leaving the opposition forces afraid and shaken, but able to retreat to safety if need be. It was, he claimed, merely a tactical attempt to bring a quick end to the war that would ultimately save lives in the long run. Harbour's technique was to place 6,000 metal canisters containing 168 tonnes of liquid chlorine along a six-kilometre stretch of the German army's line. After waiting all day for the wind to change direction, the canisters were finally prized open, turning the liquid chlorine instantly to gas. Up to 1,400 soldiers are thought to have died in the attack, and over 2,000 were injured. The chlorine being so potent, it corroded the soldiers' silver buckles and badges to a greenish-black. Harbour's hope that the gas attack would result in a fast resolution to the conflict did not come to pass. Not only did the German army fail to capitalise on the initial attack, it simply opened the door to the development of even more devastating weapons. When an effective solution was found to combat the chlorine gas, for example, Harbour simply developed something even more lethal. Where chlorine gas had to be inhaled, nitrogen mustard, needed only to settle on exposed skin to do lasting damage to the body. Symptoms of a mustard gas attack, as it would be called, ranged from extensive blistering to weeks spent coughing and choking on blood until you died. Though many were quick to condemn the German high command, even some within the German military itself, for permitting such a heinous act, the other nations were equally quick to follow suit. Despite the British senior officer, Sir John French, being amongst the most vociferous of critics, describing the use of the gas as a barbarous disregard of the well-known usages of civilised war, whatever that is, the British army would launch their own gas attack only five months later. By the end of the war, the British, French and Belgian forces had used more tonnes of gas than the German army. Out of the 40 million or so casualties of the First World War, 100,000 are thought to have been killed by gas, with 1 million believed to have been wounded. Only 10 years before, at the 1907 Hague Convention, most nations involved in the war had signed an agreement forbidding the use of poison or poisoned weapons. Nonetheless, the Harbour-Bosch process would earn Fritz Harbour a Nobel Prize in 1918, and the ammonia it's used to create today forms the basis of all manufactured nitrogen fertiliser, a method that is credited with feeding roughly a third of the global population and saving billions from starvation. There is perhaps a no more polarising figure in science. And with the release of that gas in 1915, there was no putting it back in the canister. As reports of the attacks and those haunting images of soldiers in bug-eyed gas masks drifted back from the front, few could fail to be disturbed by it. 
it had changed our concept of warfare indelibly, and as it would turn out, the spectre of those thick, yellow-tinged toxic clouds would disperse far wider and linger far longer than Harbour had perhaps ever intended them to. On the evening of Friday, December 22nd, 1933, out in the snow-covered fields of Buttertort County in Virginia in the US, local farmer Clarence Cal Huffman and his wife Matty were preparing for bed when Matty became aware of an unusual acrid odour in the air. Feeling suddenly overcome with nausea, she laid herself down and waited for it to pass. With Matty finally drifting off to sleep, Cal was just about to join her, when he too caught a whiff of the unusual odour. Being a farmer, Cal was all too aware that it wasn't uncommon round those parts for chicken thieves to use gas to knock out livestock before stealing it. In recent years, some enterprising burglars had even utilised gas to knock out guard dogs before ransacking people's homes. Hurriedly lighting a lantern, Cal grabbed his gun and quickly made his way to the back door. Pulling it open, he held up the lamp and stared out into the chill of the night. Seeing little but empty fields and the usual trees standing bare and skeletal in the dark, he felt suddenly all too aware of just how isolated he and his family were. With his wife and children to think about, he decided it best to call in the police. Special Officer Oscar Lemon arrived 30 minutes later to find Cal waiting for him on his porch, shotgun in hand. His wife and children, roused from bed by the excitement, waited expectantly inside. After he explained the situation to Lemon, Cal joined him in making a quick circuit of the property. Their home, a large stone building known locally as the Brian McDonald Jr. House, was one of the more recognisable properties in the county, a likely target, perhaps, for unwanted attention. As the officer flicked his flashlight about, looking for anything unusual, Lemon noticed one of the windows to the enclosed front porch was slightly open. Shining the light underneath it, he spotted the print of a small, high-heeled shoe in the dirt, unlike anything anyone in the family owned and neither did anyone remember leaving the window open. As unlikely as it sounded to Officer Lemon, it seemed that someone might have tried to poison the family with gas, with the possibility they'd used the porch window to pipe it into the property. After checking in on Matty, who was by then feeling better, Officer Lemon suggested that the family try to get some rest and call back if anything else strange occurred. With Lemon then leaving the property around 1am, it was a few hours later when Cal and Matty were awoken by the sound of coughing and spluttering coming from their children's bedrooms. Lighting the lamp again, the couple rushed through to the hallway just in time to see their 20-year-old daughter Alice stumble from her bedroom, seemingly unable to breathe before collapsing on the floor. Yelling that they were under attack again, Ashby Henderson, a neighbour who was staying with the family at the time, thought he saw movement outside a window and dashed out of the house to investigate. Cal joined a moment later, 
but after a few minutes scanning the area, they saw nothing. Local doctor, the 28-year-old Samuel Driver, arrived on the scene shortly after, only to find Alice completely unresponsive. Turning her onto her front, he attempted resuscitation, splaying her arms out to the side like wings and carefully pushing down on her back as he lifted her arms up by the side. After a minute or so, the family were much relieved to see the young woman finally coming round. No longer smelling the gas, it seemed this second apparent attack was over. With not much else to be done, the family thanked the doctor and made their way back to bed. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. With Green Chef, it's easy to eat well and discover new recipes every week that you'll love to cook with meal plans that include paleo, plant-powered, keto and balanced living. Whether you're looking to try out some healthier food options or just save time in the kitchen after a long day of work, let Green Chef make cooking easy with dinner options that work around your lifestyle, not the other way around. Green Chef's expert chefs design quick and easy flavorful recipes with step-by-step instructions, chef tips and photos to guide you along. Green Chef is also the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So not only can you enjoy what you're eating, but you can also feel good about how it got to your table. Use code UNEXPLAINED80 to get $80 off your first month plus free shipping on your first box. Go to greenchef.com forward slash unexplained80 to redeem and for more details. Once again, that's unexplained80 to get $80 off your first month plus free shipping on your first box. Go to greenchef.com forward slash unexplained80 to redeem and for more details. A few days later, over in Cloverdale, just three miles south of the Huffman home, Clarence and Lucy Hall were attending a Christmas church service with their three children. Returning to their house at 9pm, the couple noticed a sickly, acrid smell in the air. Within moments, their eyes were beginning to sting. Telling the others to wait outside, Clarence moved in further to investigate, only to stop suddenly looking as though he might keel over at any moment. Watching on in horror, Lucy dashed in to grab her husband and pulled him back outside. Dr William Breckenridge, who attended the scene shortly after, suggested that what happened to Clarence was consistent with the effects of inhaling some kind of gas. The following night, with the Halls staying at Lucy's parents' home for safety, Lucy's sister Ada was driving past the Halls' home with her husband when they saw a figure in the dark poking about with a flashlight near a window of the house. When they pulled in for a closer look, the figure drove off swiftly into the night. The following day, the news hit the papers that a mysterious assailant, nicknamed the Phantom Gasser, was on the loose in Badatork County that appeared to be releasing a poisonous gas into people's homes. Having at first assumed it to be little more than kids messing about, after a third apparent attack on local welder, Albert Kelly, Officer Lemon stepped up his efforts to catch the perpetrator. With the community, like much of America, only just getting back to its feet after the ravages of the Great Depression, this was the last thing they needed on their hands. 
On the 28th of December, Officer Lemon received word that an unknown man and woman were seen passing Kelly's home around the time he claimed to have been attacked. The couple had driven back and forth a number of times in a 1932 Chevrolet. However, a check on the vehicle's license plate failed to identify the owner. A few weeks later, several miles away, in an area known as Howell's Mill, Mrs. Moore, a woman staying at the home of Gertrude and Homer Hilton with her baby, was alerted to the sound of muffled voices coming from somewhere in the yard. Keeping her eye on her baby, who was fast asleep in its cot, she listened quietly as she heard the sound of rustling footsteps drawing closer to the window. Moments later, Mrs. Moore smelled gas. It was followed by a sudden numbing sensation that seemed to be spreading slowly into her limbs. Hearing her cries for help, the howls dashed downstairs to find her outside, shivering on the front step with her baby, but no sign of anyone else around. Homer Hilton gathered up his shotgun and took a seat in the front room, vowing to keep watch all night, but nobody came. The following day, Homer spread news of the attack to his neighbours Sally and Tom, who in turn passed it on to their children. Before long, their son Roy was sharing it with their neighbours, Laura and Emmett Lee, who, like an invisible virus, brought the news into their home, sharing it with each of their ten children. As a panic spread among them, the Lees spent the rest of the day plugging up holes in their property, using tin to patch up their windows, terrified that any gaps might provide an opportunity for the phantom gasser to pipe gas into their home. That night, with everyone sleeping together in an upstairs room, Emmett watched over them all with his shotgun. Sometime later, as they were drifting off to sleep, they heard a piece of tin rattling in one of the windows. Emmett ran immediately to the landing and stared down into the darkness below, demanding to know who was there. Hearing the rattle again, he pulled open a nearby window, stuck out his gun and fired a quick warning shot into the air, and then all was still. With news of the mysterious gas attack spreading rapidly throughout the community, the once open and friendly citizens of Badatork County had begun to retreat into their homes, locking all their doors and windows and eyeing their neighbours with suspicion. Families in the more isolated parts of the county slept at their friends' homes for added security, while many had taken to patrolling the roads at night or sitting out on their front steps, nervously chewing on tobacco, their breath billowing about them in the cold air as they kept their eyes fixed ahead for any hint of a shadow moving about in the darkness. Vague reports circulated of unknown vehicles being seen in the area on the night of the attack on the Hall property, and some also claimed to have heard muffled voices near their properties too, shortly before Mrs Moore had apparently done at the Hilton house. Visiting the home of another apparent victim, Dr Samuel Driver became convinced that the gas being used was chlorine. On Tuesday 16th of January, local resident Mr Duval arrived at his home shortly after 11.30pm, a quiet place not far from Cloverdale, to find that his family had been attacked. After calling Officer Lemon to alert him, 
they arranged to meet up to search the local area. En route, Duval spotted a man standing by the side of the road. Realising he'd been seen, the man sprinted straight off to a car parked nearby and jumped into the passenger side. The vehicle sped off before Duval could give chase. Later, when he returned to the site with Officer Lemon, the pair discovered another print in the dirt next to where the car had been parked up. A small, high-heeled shoe, just like the one found at the Huffman property back in December. By January 22nd, 1934, news of the Phantom Gasser had gone national, with the New York Times declaring, Virginians are terrorised by gas thrower who flees in the night after making victims ill. The following week, in one of the more shocking incidences, five friends were gathered at the home of Ed Stanley in an area known as Colon Siding, when the phantom gasser struck again. The friends were sat chatting amiably in the front room, when one of them, Ocelia Weddle, began choking uncontrollably. The friends looked on in terror as Ocelia fought for air, when suddenly they too began to choke before being overcome with a collective nausea. Suspecting they'd been gassed, one of the group, Frank Guy, staggered to his feet and clawed open the front door. As the others helped to drag Ocelia out of the house, Frank caught sight of four men running off toward a nearby wood. Racing back inside, he picked up the family's shotgun and took aim at the men. But as the shot rang out, the men were nowhere to be seen. With fear having completely gripped the county, the local board of supervisors convened for a meeting the next day. In desperation, the board announced a $500 reward for the capture of those responsible. This move was followed swiftly by the Virginia State Assembly, where delegates from Badatort and neighbouring Roanoke County introduced a bill promising a prison sentence of up to 10 years for anyone caught attacking the public with toxic gas. And so it continued into February. Only now, the gasser and its associated panic had begun to spread further, affecting residents of Roanoke County too. At least one resident required oxygen and hospitalisation, only to be discharged the following day with no apparent side effects. By mid-February, after a sudden spate of false alarms throughout Badatort and Roanoke counties, reports of mysterious gassings began to tail off. With no concrete clues or evidence with which to mount an investigation, local police were forced to abandon any efforts to hunt down the phantom, if indeed there had ever been one at all. And slowly but surely, the people of that quiet corner of rural Virginia returned to their normal lives, not quite sure what it was they had experienced, only that for a brief moment, a very real fear had stalked the land. A fear born in a laboratory two decades before, and unleashed on the world in a toxic cloud of death thousands of miles away, in a field in Belgium. And before long, new fears would emerge to take its place. It's unlikely that when Alexander von Humboldt was espousing the virtues of guano, 
that he could ever have known just how much it would change the world, nor how over a hundred years later it would indirectly lead to the development of devastating chemical weapons. And despite being one of the first to understand the effects of human-made climate change, it is also unlikely he would have predicted what impact bat excrement would ultimately have on the environment. As it is, the explosion of crop yields that started with guano, accelerated by processes such as Harbour Bosch and later the Green Revolution, has meant we are now farming more intensively than ever before. And though we might be right to congratulate ourselves on the ingenuity it took to get here, we are once again facing a moment of crisis, both Malthusian and otherwise. A study published in Bioscience Journal in 2017 predicted that despite our increased yields, population growth is once again approaching a point of catastrophe, suggesting that food production would need to increase by somewhere between 25 to 70% to compensate. And yet, just taking the impact of nitrogen fertilizers derived from the Harbour Bosch process as one example, we are paying a hefty price for those increased yields. Applying too much nitrogen has destabilized the natural nitrogen cycle, with more being created than can ever be absorbed. This in turn has led to a steady depletion of nutrients in the soil, making it ultimately less efficient for farming, with much of it ending up back in the atmosphere as nitrous oxide, an ozone-depleting greenhouse gas that traps heat at a staggering 300 times the rate of carbon dioxide. Today there is 20% more nitrous oxide in the atmosphere than only 200 years ago. When the nutrients become depleted in the soil, even more nitrogen-based fertiliser is applied to make up the shortfall, creating a disastrous cycle of diminishing returns. And if that wasn't damaging enough, as the demand for food goes up with the population, so too does the demand for land to grow it. And where that land doesn't currently exist, it is made, often by clearing rich, vital and ancient forest ecosystems. Malthus may yet be proved right in the long run, but his crucial mistake back in 1798 was to underestimate the human capacity for problem-solving. Doubtless we create many more with the ones we solve, and there is no cosmic obligation to care about each other, or the planet even, but perhaps there is reason not to despair. Though we might sometimes be more ruthless when our backs are against the wall, so too are we at our most resourceful, compassionate and brilliant. Perhaps instead of devising new ways to produce and consume more, what's needed, just as it was back in Malthus's day, is just a new way of thinking. History tells us that, for better or worse, we will find it. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, discount on merchandise, as well as brand new video and audio content exclusive to Patreon members, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support 
All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.